Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. Sports NY production recording on the afternoon of February 19th. It's a Friday, rolling as always with my co-host Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good, doing good. As Knicks fans, we're in a little bit of a break right now. We got this weird four-day break between games. Um, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We're, we're just kind of craving for the next game right now. Um, but other than that, things have been pretty good. Uh, for me, myself, I'm on vacation this week, so uh, no work, just been trying to catch up on writing, family stuff and whatnot. And uh, for this evening's podcast, we're very pumped to be talking about another team in the Eastern Conference, a team that has a lot of history with the New York Knicks, a lot of interesting um, back and forth games. The two teams are not that far away from each other on the map. Uh, this evening, we'll be talking about the Boston Celtics. Uh, at times, everyone's favorite team to hate, uh, but truth be told, we do have a lot of respect for the way they run their franchise. And to help us break down everything Celtics, we have two very talented writers, content creators, podcast hosts. Um, we have the Celtics Celtics blog, Adam Taylor, and we also have the Playgrounders, Matt Esposito. First off, Adam, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. It's uh, 9 p.m. on a Friday night, and to be quite honest, there's nothing I'd be, rather be doing than talking some hoops. And we are very much appreciative of that. Uh, we're, we're hoping that within the next coming months, that 9 p.m. on a Friday night in England or New York uh, is a lot more eventful for us. But like you, I'm also pumped to be talking hoops as well. And Matt, uh, what's going on, Bad? How are you doing as well? I'm doing good. Um, I'm sure Adam has a has a beer nearby. And just because it's just because we have a time difference and it's only four o'clock here, doesn't mean we both can't be drinking beers. So, you know, that's and it's a Friday. Right. So we all learned it. And I'm happy, uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk some Knicks, maybe compare at some point. If it's if you guys would like, I want to compare like the Celtics play by play guys to the Knicks play by play guys. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We can, we can, okay. Yes. Definitely do that. Um, just, just want to bring it up. We can, we can get into a little bit of an RJ Barrett love fest too. Uh, <laughs> Adam, yeah, I, see you, I see you enjoying Estella. Um, love Stella. I, I unfortunately did give up alcohol for Lent, but I, I would probably have a Guinness or some type of maybe IPA or, or Amber or something like that. But I, but, but I, I'll live through you right now. Oh man. I feel the worst one here, man. I'm going to, crack open the uh the scotch i think there you go (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we'll, we'll start it off here. Um, the Celtics, um, no, no secret. It's been a disappointing start to the season. They sit 14 and 14 right now, fifth in the Eastern conference, um, 22nd in points per game. Uh, obviously a very good defense, six in opposing points per game. Uh, Jalen Brown will, will most likely be an all-star. I think some people might've been upset that he wasn't a starter. Uh, but, but it's, it's been a, a, a very up and down year for the Celtics. I think from my standpoint, I'm very interested to get into the reasons of why that is. So I think the first question I want to ask you guys and, and Adam, I'll start with you is do the Celtics just need more time? Um, obviously Jason Tatum, um, is still recovering from COVID Jalen Brown missed a couple of games with knee tendonitis. Kemba Walker has struggled extremely. Marcus Smart missed some time as well. Will this will this ship just kind of write itself eventually? The more time that the, these guys have to play with each other, or is there something else wrong that needs um, to be addressed? That's the million dollar question that pretty much every Celtics fan and Celtics covers asking right now is: Is this team good enough as constructed? Because to be quite fair, the Celtics haven't really seen their their best lineup for more than probably, I think it's like 48 minutes or something stupid in total. Um, With Kemba Walker missing the starts of the season and as he comes back, Marcus Smart gets injured. Jaden Brown's playing with a bomb knee at the moment and Jason Tatum's still feeling the effects of COVID. I do kind of worry about the depth of that team in terms of experience. There's a bunch of guys on that team who have played less than 100 NBA games. Some guys have played sub 50 NBA games. So when you're looking at terms of contention and deep playoff runs, there's a very inexperienced bench there. And what tends to happen with inexperience is they're they're going to be inconsistent. So I do think that there's a move to be made, especially to shore up the bench, but also to plug a hole that's there at the four position. At the moment, you'll see Shemi Ojale starting there. I don't think any team with championship aspirations, no disrespect to Shemi, can have Semi Ojale as their starting forward. So there's definitely concerns there. Um, Defence, you pointed out, that's quite um, true in terms of an overall defence there, just above middle of the pack. But then if you start breaking it down by um, quarters, they're 24th in the league in third quarter defence. And I'm just checking, I've got my notes right here. They are also somewhere low, which I can't see all of a sudden. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're also 17th in fourth quarter defense. So they're quite poor in the second half of games overall. Their offense doesn't rank much better. And again, that to me screams inconsistencies due to due to youth. And then the fitness levels with their star players are also a concern because they're tiring out as the games go further on. Matt, do you see that kind of the same way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, part of this is like, in my opinion, guys like Shemi Ojale, Grant Williams, um, some of their other role players, these aren't guys you want to be giving as much minutes to that they're like getting right now. Um, and so part of it, like if we're talking about time in a long-term sense, I'm not overly worried. Like I think the Celtics have actually done the hardest part in getting the two, you know, budding superstars who could potentially be the guys to lead you to, to a finals. But like for this season, Man, like, not only are we going to have to see them play consistent minutes together with all their starters, and even a guy like Romeo Langford when he comes back, but we're going to have to see if their offense changes a little bit. 
Um, I know that the Celtics have been a little like heavy on, you know, in the beginning of Brad Stevens tenure, I, I, I always thought it was a little more dribble handoff, a little more movement. And then he kind of ad, uh, adapts and adjusts to his players' strengths. Um, so we'll see if that changes a little bit or if they stick with the same uh, scheme and then just benefit from having more talented on the players, more, uh, more talented players on the court rather that like you can't defenses can't really help off of. So I'm interested to see what happens. Cause again, like, in my opinion, a team with Kemba, Marcus, the two J's, Tice, Time Lord, Pritchard, right? Like that team, I wouldn't say is a favorite against the the top contenders in the East, but they can definitely like have a, a legitimate chance at advancing out of some rounds, right? So I'm going to give them time. Um, I don't know how much time, but we should be patient. And, and I've been preaching that. So I largely agree with Adam here. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I was going to ask Chip, uh, did the when we played Boston the first time and we beat him pretty handily, was Tatum playing in that game or no? No. Yeah. He so didn't I, play I in that remember, one. I remember, you know, because especially early on with the Knicks, you know, we got um, – I felt like we got a little fortunate here and there to play some guys when they had their, their best guy out. Um, but still, even without Tatum, I was pretty surprised to see – Well, their defense – still looked very un-Celtics like without right. even just without Tatum. It was weird. And uh just uh going off uh giving them time, uh Matt, I'll ask you, one of the guys who's off to a really slow start is obviously Kemba Walker. Jeff kinda alluded to that and uh a lot of speculation about him and if he's going to ever get back to form a little bit and is he someone who you think they should give time to is this something to be concerned about or are you at all concerned about it so i'm, de- I'm definitely concerned but i'm not overly concerned and like part of that is i mean i'm from connecticut so like i have to root for kemba like kemba is just <laughs> it's like a part of my childhood like kemba was one of those players where i could tell you where i was when he did cool stuff i'm like oh yeah i remember when he hit that shot i was at like you know this bar so and so underage but so a lot of people have pointed out the fact that he's gotten blocked um, a lot this year. And I'm not sold on the reason for that being he looks slow or like doesn't have as much pop because of his, of his injury. Um, I actually think he's just forcing his way to the rim sometimes and trying to make stuff happen. And, and I think a lot of players do that. Like they try and uh, draw fouls to get themselves going, but he just doesn't have the stature anyways. So he's looked better over recent games. I think he's going to be, you know, is he going to be the all NBA player we saw at Charlotte? No, but I don't think we should be in as much of a panic mode as we are. I'm going to give it more time. And it's not like his jump shot is going to totally disappear. And we listen, we all know how little the players rely on speed. So like, obviously it's something to be concerned about. I just, I think he's just looked a little bit better these past couple of games and it might've just, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, like not much of an off season and he's, he's working his way back from something. It's going to take time. So he's not going to be the person he was when the Celtics signed him, but he's not going to be a total disaster either. Right. So I, I, again, like I'm, I'm preaching patience on this one and I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see everyone when they're healthy, especially him. So I'm not freaking out, but like, I also don't want to freak out because like, I'm going to name my first kid, Jim Calhoun, like first name, last name, it's going to be Jim Calhoun. <laughs> Esposito. I might throw Shabazz in there. 
<laughs> I like it. Um, Shabazz, is he your favorite UConn player? All right. So I, my my favorite UConn player, it, it's got to be Kemba and then Shabazz. Okay. But we can we can go like really far back. Like I was a huge Ben Gordon guy. I I wanted to be a Mecca Okafor because I was like, oh, he's got like this 3.8 GPA and he's blocking shots. But like Rashad Anderson, all the Denim Brown, man, like Talik Brown, Marcus Williams, AJ, AJ Price, I had like a legitimate thing for. And I don't know why. But I'm gonna if I'm go, if I'm ranking UConn players for me, it's Kemba, Shabazz. And then I would say. Yeah, I would say Emeka. I loved Emeka. I wish he I wish he worked out a little better in the NBA. That was one of the most incredible college seasons of all time, Kemba Walker, when he took his team to a national championship. Just amazing season. So not not to like dominate the 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 podcast, but so all right, when when Kemba had that season, um I was dating a girl and her, her dad now coaches our high school. But but either way, he went up to me and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> I'm going to bet on UConn to win it all in, in the tournament. Right. So it was just after they won the big East. He's like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I, and I have watched like every game that year. I'm like, listen, I think they just got hot for that tournament. I still think they have a lot of flaws. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, well, how much are you going to bet? He's like, I'm not going to tell you unless I win. <laughs> so <laughs> they end up winning. And I'm like, all right, are you, like, you going to tell me? He's like, yeah, I, I bet three grand. And I won like, like $34,000. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, like, can you take me out to dinner or something? Like, <laughs> it was funny though. So yeah, wow. always bet UConn is the, uh, <laughs> is the motto. Had yeah, that, they're on the up too. Had mm. that bet not worked out for him, this man's life could have took a, a very, <laughs> un- unless he was extremely wealthy. But no, um, that's that that's pretty. <laughs> but Adam, um, just going back to Kemba. Do you feel the same way? And and I, I it's interesting because I actually kind of side with Matt here in terms of preaching patience because I, I look and you can't it's it's never fair to compare players even if they have the same injury but if you look at Victor Oladipo when he came back um he he looked like a fish out of water and, and he looked and everyone said he's slow he's not the same player and um even now of course he may not look like 2013 2014 or i forget whether it was 16 17 17 18 all nba oladipo but um he looks a lot better he looked a lot better in the beginning of this season so that leads me to believe that i do think with time things are going to get a little bit better here with kemba it's funny because when when you guys um sign and traded for kemba i always wondered about the fit with him in Jalen Brown and Tatum and and in my mind and this is when you still had Hayward on the team in my mind I, I kind of really questioned the ceiling of a team that that had their cap with those guys being the, the majority guys and, and how far it could go but they went very far last year um, but I don't know I, I do kind of see Kemba as somebody you just have to be a little patient with and of course he's owed a, a ton of money but Adam do you do you see it the same way yeah, I pretty much agree with what Matt said. The only concern I have is more about how robust his knee is. Can it take the rigors of a playoff series or a deep playoff run? Like, they're managing it really well at the moment. He's not playing in back-to-backs, so he'll play game one and miss game two or vice versa, depending on what they def- define as the more important of the two games. Um, so they're managing it fine now, but 
I still want to be able to know that when they need to ramp him up to um, a game every other day in half court physical basketball that you see in the playoffs, that his body can sustain that for the entirety of a run, right? Because when you're paying a guy like Kemba the money you're paying him, and if he's having a slow start in the regular season, that's completely fine. You That's where the patience comes in. You let him get through the teething issues now in hope to see some form of all-star or borderline all-star level point guard play in the playoffs. And he's got the ability to break down defenses with that burst of speed. He does look like that speed's there. It's just flashes instead of consistency. And I'm fine with that too. The only question I have in terms of fit is, can he be a playmaker? And you're going to need that from a Boston Celtics team that struggled to break down zone defense last year. You want to see some internal growth that they've learned from those lessons. Kemba got deed up on like ridiculously as an individual, especially against Toronto. That was the deepest, like realistically, that was probably the, the most playoff games he'd ever played. And it was probably the first time a team had schemed against it, against him so intensely with that box and one. So yeah, I, I'm not concerned, but I do think that if he doesn't manage to put a, a string of games together in the playoffs this year, that Danny Ainge might start getting itchy fingers when it comes to putting the trigger on letting him uh, moving him on. That's uh that that probably brings me to my my next question because to me Ainge is um such an interesting topic of conversation. I feel like sometimes in Nick's Twitter circles, uh there'll be there'll be some hate thrown towards Ainge's way in terms of you know being too patient uh, with kind of like the treasure chest of picks that he's had, um, some of the moves that he's made or not made, but. I, I want to kind of frame this and, and obviously we know the answer is some combination of all, but if you have to rank kind of the struggles of the Celtics season and, and what they're due to the most, whether it's Ainge who, who put this team together, uh, Brad Stevens coaching, Kemba's really rough start or just injuries in general, uh, how would the two of you guys kind of rank those? And, and if there's another factor that I haven't included um, you know, feel free to do so, Matt, uh, if you want to kind of take the ball with that one. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, everyone has a little bit of um, blame, if, if that's the best word for it, if I'm not being like too harsh, but I think so much of it is, is, circum, is circumstance, right? Like, I really do think if this team is healthy and they have like a consistent string of games they can put together where they're actually playing with each other, that we have a much different taste in our mouth right now about the Celtics season. But that being said, like, I'm not a huge critic of, of Brad Stevens. Um, there are some things that like I'll nitpick about him, but I, I do wish at times he found a way to inject a little more like player movement. I, I think there's, there's a lot of standing around at points, especially critical points in the games. And one of the most frustrating parts is like, there are times when the Celtics start a game and that ball is popping around. And then it seems to tail off in the most important moments. I just, I just muted myself for some odd reason by accident. Um, but I, I'm not sure that like, hopefully that, that ship kind of writes itself because that was something towards the end of last year in the heat, um, in the heat series, we saw the same thing. So we're looking for that to be fixed. And I think part of that is the, the player's responsibility. I think part of that is the coach's responsibility. And then I'm not, I, I'm one of the last people to criticize Danny Ainge. Like anyone who can acquire Jason Tatum while picking up assets should be praised for a long time and but either way i'm not going to criticize him until i see what he does or doesn't do with this with this tpe um i think that's a big part 
getting in, in my opinion i would either want a forward like like adam said maybe a guy like thad young um or some off ball player that that can play a little defense and and move the the defense from side to side so i i don't want to i don't know i don't want to not have any hot takes here and <laughs> but, and ultimately I, I i think i do know where you guys are getting at with this podcast i think you're just waiting to bring up a you know Kembo return to New York scenario. Um, so just know that I'm I'm reading the tea leaves here. We're good. We're good. Yeah. I'm I'm good. Quickly. Oh man. <laughs> Great storyline from the Bronx. But either way, I, I, I do think that um, you know, it, it's they, they just gotta we gotta see them after a few games together and and whoever Ainge decides to bring in um with with his TPE. I think that the the most underrated aspect of these struggles is the fact that they need to decide whether they're like you need to pick a lane, right? At the moment, you're a contending team that's rebuilding at the exact same time. You have so much developmental talent on the roster in guys like Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford when he's healthy, that you need to make a decision. Do we want to push our timeline back one or two years and really hone in on these guys and see what we have in the cupboard with these guys? Or do we want to use these guys as a means to move them out and make moves to build a win-now-ready roster? And that, to me, is probably the biggest piece of blame. And I don't want to put all that on Ainge because you can only make moves with guys that hold value. And at the moment, a lot of these young guys, their value is quite minimal. Robert Williams would be one of the more valuable guys, but he's had a long string of injuries. And then he had that hip edema last year, just missed a few games with hip soreness. Then your next most valuable guy is probably Aaron Neesmith, but he looked like a headless chicken for the first start of the year. So for me, like that is probably the number one biggest reason that these struggles came about because you're straddling between two different timelines and you just don't know which way you want to go, right? It's like sitting at the red light and edging forwards, waiting for your sat-nav to update on the, um, before choosing which lane to go. Um, the next, next thing for me would be, I'm the same as Matt. I find it very hard to criticize Brad Stevens. I'd like to see a little bit more fire in him. I want to see him get mad. And like, I hate watching Nick Nurse coach. I hate it. It's one of the most aggravating things in the world. But you can appreciate why he acts the way he does, right? Like Nick Nurse coached um, in my country for years. He coached a team from the city I live in. He coached one of my good friend's dads for about four years. So um, I had a firsthand kind of experience of watching Nick Nurse pace the sidelines but when you see it on TV it's the most aggregate aggravating thing in the world but if Brad Stevens wants to do a bit of that then that would actually go a long way to endearing him to fans and getting people off his back Matt's just, I agree with Matt in terms of lack of ball movement is very stagnant and it does feel like we're going to go two on five every night and if Kemba's in we're going to go three on five and everybody else you're just there for bail like three point shots and that's not conducive to winning Right. So I, I do think it's a, um, an accumulation of things. But for me, the number one issue is you need to decide uh, sooner than later and let your fan base know that decision. We're in it. We're in it to win now or we're not looking to win until 2023. And so, let's let everybody know. So, Adam, just like, you know, Celtics fan to Celtics fan, because I'm, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And I'm pretty torn on this. What do you what do you want them to, to do? Do you want them to to kind of push back? this timeline a year or two or do you want that or do you think that they can win now and that they should make a move to win now because i'm personally i'm torn 
So the biggest thing that concerns me, right, is like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're locked up long term. We both know that that doesn't mean too much in the NBA. If they dis- if they get disillusioned, they can make it very easy for themselves to move on. But they will also remember these years, right? Like I remember there'd be, cause I could just imagine them sitting down with Aiden for another contract renewal discussion and being like, I remember 2021 when we feel like we could have won it all because of that the way that season was and you didn't put the pieces around us to do so. Um, so that concerns me. Uh, are Jason and Jalen okay with spending the years that they're entering their prime in a rebuilding situation? Um, but personally, from me, just because I'm like I'm ridiculously, unlogically, um, disgustingly high on Romeo Langford, that, mm. and I know that he'd be a piece that needed to be moved in any for any rebuild. Um, I kind of lean towards the latter. I want them to rebuild with what they have. Because to me, sustained contention over a five, six year period is better than throwing all your all your chips in, having a year or two of good basketball, and now you're in the doldrums. So you could lose Jalen and Jason either road you take, right? So for me, I'd rather go down the longevity route. So Danny Ainge said on the radio today or the other day that the Celtics, as constructed, he didn't think were good enough to win a title. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. And so I wanted to ask both of you guys, uh, first of all, what your thoughts were on that. And uh, I think we just kind of got your answer, Adam, on this question. But if you thought they should uh, make a move, say we've seen them linked to Andre Drummond. We were talking about that with Matt earlier. But for someone like an Andre Drummond or maybe try and go even bigger for someone like a Bradley Beal, and uh, Matt, we'll start with you. Yeah. And, you know, I trust me as even though like we've gone down the Connecticut road, I have no attachment to Andre Drummond. Um, <laughs> so like I'm not going to I just don't think he'd be. I don't think he's what the Celtics need and or want. I think actually, like if you look at Ainge's track record, he, he tends to go for big men who are on cheap contracts and get the most out of them um, and don't really need the ball a lot. Right. So, sorry. So your, your original question, are they, are they built right now to win it, to win a title? Uh, Yeah. Ainge said he didn't think they were, I guess. So, so this is an interesting question. Like that I think takes a little nuance to look at Um, this year. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. But I think part of that is because we have these absolute, I think the NBA is more talented this season than it's been in a long, long time. Uh, Like the nets are ridiculous. Like they, their capacity to drop to easily like drop 140 or hit a hundred points by the third quarter. It's there every single day. I think the Lakers are fantastic when they're healthy. I think that team is beautifully constructed. Um, I think the Sixers, when the Sixers play, when everyone on that team is playing at their best, that team's phenomenal. And then we're even, you know, I know the Bucks are on like a five game skid, but the Bucks are so really good. And the Clippers look at their talent. So my, my point is, this league is so incredibly talented right now that no, the Celtics can't win a title. But I think that question isn't always, doesn't always reflect the Celtics level of talent. Like we saw last year, how close they were to getting to an NBA finals. And I know that Hayward's not on the team and the team is a little bit different, but the core pieces I think are there. So this year, no long-term depending on what Ainge adds, and, and factoring in that guys like Kevin Durant, like LeBron, like Kawhi, right, are, are going to age a little bit or teams might break apart because this NBA is like 
you know, this MBA is like, uh, I was just going to say they're like my students, but <laughs> in terms of like being capricious and like never knowing what they want and, and changing every day, but um, that's what it is. So yeah, this, this year they would need to make a significant move. And I, and I don't know if that move is out there right now, but what gives me a little bit of peace of mind is long-term, I still think they're in pretty good shape. I completely agree. They're not going to win this year as constructed, as currently constructed. Brad Stevens, to me, I always kind of look at it like this. Like you have co regular season coaches and playoff coaches, right? Like if you're the box, you know that you're going to dominate apart from this year when they're not. But usually you're going to dominate the regular season and then fall to pieces in the playoffs because Mike Budenholz is your coach. And then if you're the Boston Celtics, you know you're going to have like a third, fourth, second, third, fourth seed finishing the conference, but you're probably going to grind your way out to a, final, a conference finals appearance. Um, I can see this team being good enough to make it to the conference finals. I can also see them being good enough for a second round exit. So it's tough. Um, as Matt said, like there's a lot, if you're talking about guys out there, Drummond is probably the worst fit possible for pretty much any team in the NBA at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a huge empty stats guide to me. I like the notion of Harrison Barnes. I also like the notion, as Matt brought up earlier, of Fad Young. Uh, Vooch, to me, doesn't actually fix much in terms of his 30s on a big contract himself. Um, I spoke about this with Jonathan Macri on our podcast the other day. Vooch feels very much like a Spurs trade. And like he's the type of guy that you'd see go to San Antonio more than you'd see go to Boston. If you're going to get an off-ball guy, um, JJ read it to me, screams um, outdated, old, and not worth the time. But the only reason I'd want JJ Reddick in Boston is to try and get him on my podcast because I know he likes <laughs> to do those. Um, it's going to be a tough year. It's going to, uh, if you look at rotations, if you're going eight or nine man deep, then I think the Celtics have a very good roster at that point, a very talented roster, but there's definitely a piece or two missing. Have you guys watched, um, did any of you by any chance watch that New Orleans Memphis game the other day? I watched some of it. Yeah. So, I, I agree with Adam. I think, I think JJ isn't long for this league, but like some of the stuff that he does, I wish Brad Stevens would do. So, so Van Gundy is kind of, he came under some heat this year. Um, and, but New Orleans is starting to turn their offense around. They're doing it because they're using Zion as like a ball handler and mm -hmm. they're bringing up JJ to set the screens, which is, I, I love that idea. And I wish Brad Stevens would adopt a little bit more of that. To, to bring up a smaller player who can pop for you and open up some, some driving lanes, I think would be a good idea. Um, but no, I, I, I agree with Adam a lot there. Um, and then just, just one thing to like add on to this discussion of if the Celtics are good enough this year, another thing that I would want to point out is, so I, I want to say I checked this yesterday or the day before, but on cleaning the glass, the Celtics are kind of like middle of the pack for effective field goal, right? I think they're like 15th, 14th, something like that, which is kind of uncharacteristic for them. But there's a there's a neat little stat on cleaning the glass called um, location effective field goal percentage. And basically like what, what that measures or determines or unveils would be a better word is a team's shot profile. So it kind of shows like, where are you taking your shots from? And the, the stat goes back to this idea of, okay, you know, if Boston is taking a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of shots from three, they should have a higher effective field goal percentage, but their, their location effective field goal percentage 
not to get too wordy, is like 27th or 26th in the league. So what that reveals to us is they're taking a lot of difficult shots and they're just actually making them right now. And that reflects in like when you look at the players, like Jason Tatum is having a really good year. Jalen Brown is having this phenomenal year shooting the basketball, especially like pulling up in the mid-range. And I, I don't think that's going to last. So I actually expect that to kind of come back down to earth, which is just another reason, like, I don't believe the Celtics can win it all this year, which is a funky thing to say, to say aloud, because for the last few years, it's been the opposite. We've kind of been like, okay, they have the talent. They, they're going to surprise some people. And this year, I think we're kind of preparing for the worst and just hoping like Romeo Langford comes back and hits some threes and throws some lobs to Time Lord and all that good stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen. I was looking at Jalen Brown's cleaning the glass page before we came on. He's making like 70% of his shots at the rim and like close to 50% of his mid range. It's insane how good he's been. It's ridiculous. So like I, oh man, I started to take, I'm, a, I'm like, I'm aging. Like, I feel like I'm getting old. Like <laughs> I turn, I turn 29 soon. Oh man, that makes me feel bad. You can't say that and then say 29 at the end of the sentence. Yes, yeah, seriously, that makes everyone here feel old. Wait a minute. There's no way I'm the youngest. Yes, you, you are. are. I think you are, Matt. I'm 33, Adam. What about you? I'm 33. Yeah, so me yeah. and Adam are the oldest. Chip Chip just turned 32. 32, right? yeah. 32. Yeah, Matt. <laughs> Aging, Matt. <laughs> you, Matt, if you want some gray hair, I'll, I'll give you some. <laughs> I was going to say, you have this beautiful touch of gray. Um, but I, so I'm like very self-conscious about my own hair. I'm like, I can't lose my hairline. I don't want to bald. So that I did, it's not helping then. It's not, you're right. I, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, you got to keep it on, but like, so, so no one sees it, but if you take, I don't know. So I, I heard, um, on, I think I, it was some politics podcast. They were doing an ad for like this hair thing. And you take like one pill a day. Or something and I was, i'm like stupid enough to do it you sure this is for hair this yes this is, <laughs> well hold on this is this is what it gets to so one of the side effects is like increased testosterone interesting and like when so you know when i'm looking at jalen brown's cleaning the glass page now i have to decide like is it the hair pill that's kind of like revving my engines or is it Jalen? Is it Jalen Brown's like shot chart? Like, like what are the things that are turning me on nowadays? I think his all-star selection probably tells you it's the former instead of the latter. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's been good enough that you can get revved up by his shot chart. Yeah. I had to read the all-star returns, like in a cold shower. Cause I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. But... <laughs> Should should he have been okay? Should he have been an all star starter? Is there a case for that, or is there not a case for that? I don't know, man. That's a tough one for me. I, I you know, I don't like getting into this whole. Um, you guys may feel very differently th than me, but I'm never someone who who says that your team has to be winning um, at a high level to be a, a, a starter in the game or even selected. Uh, so I I think Bradley Beal is is the the best shooting guard um yeah you know in the east so you know i think i was reading on twitter last night i think more people were upset maybe with um james harden not getting picked over Kyrie, as as opposed to the you know the opposite way around but i i mean i think there's definitely a case for brown to be a starter i just don't know that i would have picked him over beal maybe in another year um 
But, I mean, he's been amazing, man. I mean, like, how can you not like what he's done so far this year? Did you – um? do you guys – I want to go back to something Matt just mentioned about Zion bringing the ball up, um, just to really rewind a moment. Do any of you guys um, subscribe to Slapping the Glass, Slapping Glass newsletter? This would be the first time I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay, I so um, check I, it fa- out. I found out about it when um Van Gundy gave it a shout out on like um I get some I think it was a Lake uh, yeah it was Lakers Celtics and Van Gundy mentioned that newsletter. It's completely free. And um they done a breakdown recently on inverted screening actions, which is exactly that where you have the guard screen for the big. And um I just it just made me think of that to recommend it because it is excellent. They do really great work. Every Sunday is a new release. Um their YouTube stuff's great as well. And then um another thing you said, like the Celtics are taking really difficult shots. Did you see that? Um, is it Krishnan Naru or Nasu from Basketball Index put out something saying that um the Celtics take like the hardest shots in the league and at the moment they're just falling? Um I, I have wrote a piece today which is quite um controversial we'll use um basically saying that at the moment tatum and brown are playing very selfish basketball just because Mm. i don't think they trust the guys that are around them um is that bad yeah it's terrible is it something that can be fixed yeah who's going to fix it i genuinely believe romeo langford um (laughs) completely he hasn't shown anything to deserve that but if you're looking at like all-star selections as well then I'm not too mad that Jalen wasn't a starter. As you say, Bradley Beals had a great year. Zach Levine's also another guy that I think yeah. has had a fantastic year. Um, the only way you can make a real argument for Brown is that he's doing it on a team that's supposed to be winning. So there again, that might go against you too, right? Like this team's not meant to be at 500. So maybe that goes against Brown too. It's all right putting up numbers. Um, but if your team's meant to be winning and you're putting up numbers and they're still not winning, then maybe that doesn't look as good. Well, interesting, like to, to stay on that conversation in terms of like changing the offense and making some of the shots less difficult, um, like just scouring all the different Celtics pieces, you know, conversation on Reddit, whatever is on SB Nation, whatever is out there. Like, um, I mean, like two players that kind of stand out to me and I, and I wonder, um, or maybe three that stand out to me and I wonder what type of increased role they get going forward are uh, Peyton Pritchard, uh, Neesmith, who I know has been really, really, um, he's been rough to watch early on, and Robert Williams, um, who we, we've t- touched on and talked about a little bit. But, um, like, uh, you know, and again, this goes back to, I think, Adam, you also discussing the the kind of juxtaposition and being in between two different timelines and wondering how much we are by trying to compete this year and satisfy Jalen Brown and Tatum, who are your guys that are under contract. And we've got to make sure that they sign with us, you know, for, for the next contract. Um, How much are we satisfying their need to compete now and go as far as you can in the playoffs now, as opposed to developing some of the young guys. And as a Knicks fan, I've actually, I've actually been lucky enough and surprisingly, I would have never have, thought that Tom Thibodeau would be a uh, developmental coach in, in some sense. But when I look at RJ Barrett getting better, Emmanuel quickly doing well, Mitchell Robinson having a very good season and we are competing. Um, it does make me look at the Celtics and say, to what extent can Brad uh, foster good results from this team while getting maybe more production from Pritchard and, and Neesmith as well? What do you guys say to that? 
Me and Matt both waiting for each other to speak. Oh, my bad. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I should have thrown that to one of you guys. Um, Matt, I'll start with you first. Right. So there are certain things about their young players I really, really like. And maybe I'm being a little too high on them. Like some of them have, first of all, some of them have great pedigrees. Like Romeo Langford comes from, was one of the most heralded high school recruits in the country, um, which Ainge kind of has like a thing for. Um, like going all the way back to Avery Bradley and, and I'm, I'm with Adam. Like, I think Romeo might be a guy that shifts the trajectory of the season a little bit, but so, you know, what, what we're hoping for is I think a lot of Celtics fans want to see the team compete this year while not giving like crazy extended minutes to the young guys to let them make mistakes and develop. We want it to happen seamlessly. Right. And like for some players, it has like Peyton Pritchard has fit in right away. Uh, and, and that's kind of rare for rookies. Uh, and, and Robert Williams is, is starting to produce. And in my opinion, he's like their best passing big. I think passing is such an underrated skill of his. And he provides this vertical spacing that you're not going to get as much of out of Thompson and, and, and Tice. Um, I think the player a lot of people are looking at is Neesmith. Because if you, if you go back and you know, watch some of his Vanderbilt tape, um, and, and compare him shooting threes in college to shooting threes in the NBA. And there's a little bit of a difference. Like he is more off balance and you can and not to get like kind of in the weeds here, but when you watch him shoot, don't look at his upper body, look at his lower body. When his legs kick out, um, it's a sign that players are having to rebalance that they didn't take a balanced shot. And that's something he does a lot of, which, which is weird. But at the same time, like he's had a couple games recently where he's playing with great energy, almost like with reckless abandon. He's the one I think Celtics players are looking at. So like going forward, I'm really high on these guys, like long-term. I actually think that Peyton Pritchard is like an ideal archetype to put next to their two stars in in Jalen and Jason, because he's not going to command the ball as much. He can play a little bit off ball. He can play on ball. We've already seen him be able to create shots if if things kind of uh, get a little chaotic in, in the end of a shot clock. He plays spirited defense. So, like, long-term, I love Pritchard. I, I think he's – that's how I would construct a roster. But, like, these these have to hit. Like, these players have to hit with the Celtics in their cap situation. And the fact that they're not going to be drafting in the top of the draft, you know, anytime soon so like there's so much importance going on here but Pritchard is the one for me like he's the one that I think we might look back at three or four years from now and be like wait a minute like this this is the reason their ceiling is staying high you know what's interesting we've spoke about all these young guys and the one name that hasn't been bought up once is Grant Williams Mm. and I think that says a lot for where he's at with his development um i genuinely think that grant williams could be um a high level role player on um, a championship contending team i just don't think it's going to be with boston at the moment uh grant's best position is as a small ball five the celtics have three guys that they're rotating at that five that are still pretty much undersized for that position so it's very rare you can find minutes for grant there so if there is one guy that I'm not high on um, in terms of fit, then it's going to be Grant Williams. I agree with Matt in terms of Peyton Pritchard being probably the guy that if any discussions happen, then Peyton Pritchard's the guy you try and keep hold of um, 
and you just do not let God because he might not ever be an all-star, but he's going to be one of the more effective um, point, point guards on teams that have ball-dominant shooting guards and ball-dominant wings. You can put Pritchard there and feel very confident that he can set these inverted screens. He can play off ball. He can kind of, he likes to cut as well. That's one of the things I like about Pritchard too. Um, he probes the defense with the ball in his hand or without it. Um, going on, touching on what he, Matt said about Neesmith, um, I completely agree. What What's the most shocking thing about the fact that he's off balance when he's shooting like that is during college from the tape I've seen, he was very much a movement shooter, right? Like he'd peel off a screen and catch and shoot in movement. And in the NBA, he's just really struggling to figure out that the mechanics of doing that. I don't know if that's because he needs to operate a little, uh, an octave or octane quicker because you've got now got, instead of a college guy closing out on you, you've got a 26 year old pro athlete that looks like a bodybuilder running at you full speed. And that could, I can see how that'll be intimidating. Right. Um, so there's that Romeo Langford is the guy, as Matt said, that I think could really flip this season. He's either going to be really good or really, really bad. And then you look at, Rob Williams, who for me should be looked at as a starter at points. But the problem with bringing Rob Williams into the starting lineup is you remove any injection of kind of energy off the bench. Mm. And that seems to be what he's bringing at the moment. And I don't know who can come off the Celtics bench and galvanize a unit that's on the floor like Rob can if you slide him into the starting lineup. And that's the problem. There's a lot of, um, Square pegs for round holes. Have you ever heard that saying before? I don't know if that's yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So it's not oh, just yeah, an yeah. English saying. So there's a lot of square pegs for round holes, and we're just trying to figure out which ones fit best with each other. It's just it's a it's a really weird year as a Celtics guy. Talking about um Tibbs, you you say he's improved quickly, he's improved RJ Barrett, but you never told us about one guy that a few people told me they wanted at the start of the year in um Julius Randall. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, listen, I, I mean, Julius Randle has been absolutely amazing to watch. I think, um, you know, Chip and I, you know, we were fortunate to talk to uh, Julius's trainer that he worked with over the summer, Tyler Ralph. And, um, you know, Tyler was not shy at all about throwing praise towards Tibbs's way. He said that as soon as we found out that Tibbs was going to be the coach, he said, we knew playtime was over. And he said, we knew it was about, you know, we were about to get to work. And um, he said from Julius's perspective, because it, I think, you know, you, you get a lot of these guys um, that go, go through the AAU ranks and Kentucky. And what you hear to a man is that uh, a lot of the coaching staff there is, is very hard on them and they hold them accountable. So that's what, those are the words that he used when he, when he described what Tibbs had had done for him this year. And I think he was even just a, a guest on uh, JJ Reddick's podcast. And he said that, um, you know, when, when worldwide West became a part of the Knicks front office, he called him and he said, you know, what, when, whatever coach we hire next, you know, what, what do we, what do we need to get for you to be the best version of yourself? And he said that he said, someone who's going to hold me accountable. And, uh, and Tibbs has done that, you know, from day one. So we've been, we've been really pleasantly surprised with, with all those results. Yeah, he's averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists on 40% three-point shooting. Only person to ever do that in a season is Larry Bird. It's crazy, crazy stat. And this Tommy, is Tommy Beer. This is tweeted that one out. <laughs> and again, this is Julius Randle. Like, I mean, if you looked on Nick's Twitter last year, 
Uh, this guy was getting killed every game. There was memes about how he would spin into the defense and there's three people there and everyone was just tired of watching this. Um, but, you know, he's he's become uh, a point forward for us. He, he has a lot of responsibilities for us. And, and Chip has talked a lot about his defense, too, which has been amazing as well. Um, yeah, man. I mean, so it's, it's been, it's been one of those seasons where it's, it's, I feel like it's very hard to do in the NBA. I think the Spurs are doing it very well this year, um, in terms of competing for the now and developing your young guys for the future, but we've been able to do that. And, you know, two games below 500, I know that's a kind of a low bar for, for most NBA franchises to be satisfied, but I think you asked the majority of Knicks fans, they're pretty pumped. Yeah. But you're, you're you trending in the right direction. Like it's, it's pretty evident, you know, once you watch the Knicks and, and I, you know, I get the Knicks on cable, um, they're in games, right. And they compete, they compete hard. They play with energy and you, you can, you can like feel the way the culture has shifted. Um, you can definitely hear it from Mike Breen. <laughs> two, two of my, I don't know what it is, but listening to those two guys, I have so much fun. <laughs> Well, it's just, it's been a pleasure. It's interesting that you said that because uh, there was some guy from Utah Jazz Twitter, or he might've been a media member. He came after Clyde a month ago, Chip. I don't oh God, this, but I don't remember his after, name he came after Clyde because I, I think he may have gotten something wrong or whatever. Nick's Twitter pounced immediately. Like yeah. where we were literally like a pack of lions defending like our firstborn cub. Like we're like, no one comes after Clyde. We come after Clyde. We can make fun of Clyde but like you can't. And it was crazy to watch that. Um, but yeah, I mean like, dude, I, I listen, Mike Breen, I, I mean, like he's been a joy to watch. He, he literally was just, and I'm sure Adam knows this. He was just a guest on, on Macri's. Uh, yeah. On Macri's podcast, um, last night. And, uh, Mike Breen is like the ultimate man. Like uh, he is, you know, when you hear bang, it's like, whoa, we're doing something well. Like <laughs> he's, he's the man. Um, so yeah, it's just been, it's been interesting for sure. Well, I know that, I know that Scal has taken a lot of criticism lately from, cool. uh, from Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> I personally, when I, when I, so I stream a lot of Celtics games. I always stream, um, like I, I never stream the Celtics broadcast. I always stream whoever they're playing. So I just like to hear like the other, the other play-by-play guys, like in Detroit, I don't know. I always forget the name of their guy, but he calls every three pointer, a long gun. It's um, unreal. Just it's, it sounds stupid, but once you hear it and he says it so calm, he's like, he's like, Seiko Demboya with another long gun. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm into it now. Like, I'm into it. You can make a drinking game out of Scal. <laughs> So, Scal, if you drink every time Scal tells you he was a pro, you can end up pretty messed up by the end of the game. <laughs> and um, I, I tried that the other day, and um, I had to rewatch the game the next morning to figure out exactly what had gone on. <laughs> um, because he, that is probably the reason that he's the most unenjoyable um, color guy at the moment. It's because he's just like, when I was a pro, we did this, and I played against this guy's dad, and I felt old because I used to play in the NBA. And then when I played in the NBA... It's like, dude, just give it a rest, man. We know we, we understand you played in the NBA. So did a lot of other color guys, but they don't continue to harp on about it as much as you do. Um, I like scale for the most part, but you, you've got a beer in your hand, Matt, so you need to know about these drinking games that you can play. 
He listen. He uh, Scal. I feel like the height of his popularity was when he uh, he he just opened up an open challenge of of people to just play him one on one and then videotape it and then put it up on YouTube. That was when I was kind of like, you know, Brian Scalabrine's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know what? I, I think that. that's kind of cool to watch. But I I haven't uh, kept up with too much of his stuff lately. But um, yeah, I guess he's been tough tough for you guys to listen to. A little I bit. Think he sounds like Wally a little bit. He has such a high bar to live up to, though. Like after Mike yeah. Gorman passed, like right, not Mike Gorman, sorry, Tommy Heinsohn. Um, after Tommy passed, and then having to replace Tommy, and there's no chemistry. This is where I got Mike's name from. There's no chemistry between Mike and Scal yet, and we're so used to the chemistry between Mike and Tommy that anything that's not Mike and Tommy stands out like a sore thumb, right? So part of me feels like we're picking at him because he's not what we're used to and change is always hard. Um, but it has been a really tough transition. Okay. You know what? I, I have a very interesting question to ask the both of you guys. Since since we can kind of go Knicks and Celtics back and forth here, I, I have two questions. I'll start with Matt first. What are your honest opinions on Frank Nilakina? And who do you think is the most overrated Nick on the team? Mm. My honest opinion on, on Frank is I'm going to, I'm going to frame it this way. He has potential to be an incredible defensive player. We saw this right away in the NBA. Um, like I, I remember, I want to say it was his rookie season and he ended up on Zach Lowe's. Um, yeah. 10 he was, things. He was the number one highest defender against the pick and roll. Yeah. And, and Zach Lowe was like, um, and I, I, I trust in Zach Lowe. Uh, he was like, yeah, this kid like can be an all league defender. So I think he has the tools. Uh, I think it's going to take him getting to a new team and having an incredibly limited offensive role and changing his offensive role. And I don't know if that can happen, but we, we do, we have seen in the NBA, like we've seen guys hang around who, can just be a lockdown defender and teams live with their lack of offensive production. So I can't get a read from Nick's Twitter on Frank. <laughs> I, I think it's obviously trending more negative than positive, but at the same time, like you will find guys that are like, no play Frank. I just think he needs a new team. And, and my, so my honest, my honest opinion is like, I'm not going to make, I'm going to kind of, you know, take the easy way out here. I'm not going to make too strong of an opinion until I see him on a team like San Antonio where he can work, work with a shot doctor and, and play some good defense or something like that. Um, who do I think is the most, would you say underrated or overrated? Overrated. Overrated. That's a good question. Or you could even say, you know, the player on, on the Knicks that maybe we think is good that you're just kind of like, I mean, nah. that's also what overrated means, but I, I mean, like <laughs> player that you just kind of like, yeah, I, there aren't many guys who are too highly rated. So it's not you a just, easy you question. You just did, um, that's a classic teaching tool. You just took something I didn't understand and rephrased it another way. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I get it now. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, okay. So I might go with, Oh man, I might go with Mitchell Robinson. And this wow, is not really? this is not throwing this is not throwing shade, right? Okay. This is not throwing shade at all. My thing with Mitchell Robinson is he still hasn't figured out two things. He hasn't figured out the following. It might have gotten a little better, but I don't think he 
I wouldn't trust I wouldn't trust him in a playoff. Like I think he if you're playing a playoff series, I think he gets into foul trouble a lot. Okay. Um and I also and this is just it's not it's not his fault. It's just my like own personal philosophy on bigs. Um I think that you can I think he's going to sign a big a, a nice little contract one day and I would just rather have a guy that is kind of like a replacement level big or maybe two replacement level bigs that earn less money. Well. Yeah. And so I don't, you know, overrated is a tough term for him. I think he's, I think he's a really good player and I like a lot of the stuff that he does. You just, just not like a max, like a max extension. I think he's going to earn a little bit more than he's worth. And I'm not terribly sold that he can be as effective of a postseason player as he is in the regular season, but I like him a lot. I still like him a lot. Is that based on like what we've seen from guys like Gobert and Capella in the postseason? I mean, it's based a little bit on like recent postseason trends, right? And I think it's just the way the league is trending. And I, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's not a place for those guys, but I think the I think the most successful postseason bigs you have today are the ones that are just a little more ballerina like like Bam Adebayo like Anthony Davis and and Joel Embiid and and I'm not sure Mitchell Robinson is as coordinated as those guys so I'm being nitpick like I'm nitpicking and it's that's because I really like a lot of the stuff this this Knicks team you know that that they have and like who else am I going to say Reggie Bullock like I like Reggie no, Bullock. I, I mean it's fair that's it that's at least no, it's fair. a shot at having a take you know what yeah. I mean it's I mean he can't pass and he can't set a screen so there is that is still a problem and, and he's shooting what chip I think like what 54% from the, the line this year and it's gone down yeah. progressively every year he started off at mm. 60 and then he was in the 50s he might be in the 40s now I'm not 100% sure but I definitely want to go back to the Mitch stuff, but Adam, I got to hear your, your take here too. Frank Nilakina and maybe most overrated Nick on the team. So Frank, Nit- I can't even pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Frank, Frank goes to bed with a pinup of Marcus Smart, right? I mean, that's, that's the end. That's the be all and end all. Like that right. was always the hope. Yeah. 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 He's got that poster of Smart clutching the ball, screaming, you know, the one Matt that we see at the start of every game. And, um, that's what Frank wants to be. And I just don't think he's in the right posi- right position to get it. I think that if we were going to see jumps and strides defensively, we would have seen something along those lines now. And I genuinely believe it just needs reps. And for whether it be when Dennis Smith Jr. came to the Knicks or Alfred Payton came, there's always been a guy in front of him that's kind of took those minutes away. And he, I've always seen him as a guy that needs to be playing 20 to 28 minutes a night to really start seeing a development from him. So maybe a team like Orlando might suit him more playing alongside someone like Fultz. Um, maybe he, maybe Atlanta would take a run at him as a smart light to try and shore up their perimeter defense next to Trey Young. So I don't think the his career is kind of washed, but I definitely think if he doesn't find himself in a favorable situation soon, he'll be back in Europe. Yeah, I think that's fair. And then any um, any other player that you feel is overrated or... I mean, this guy isn't really overrated, but I read Macri's newsletter, right? So I see him yeah. kind of big him up a little bit. And that's Alfred Payton. Like, um... <laughs> very, uh... very, uh, very um, contentious, you know, polarizing player. Not really polarizing. I think most of Knicks fans don't really like him and don't love his skill set. But he he's become... 
Julius Randle was a scapegoat last year, and, and Peyton is a scapegoat this year. The question I ask myself whenever a player is being overrated on um, or being kind of berated is a better word on a team that isn't in contention mix and is, right. isn't a bottom feeder, but, you know, they're in that purgatory area. Could this player get minutes on another NBA team? That's always the first question that I ask myself. Right. And generally the answer is yes. I can usually sit down and look at who could do with what. I genuinely don't know where Alfred Payton would fit in if he was cut tomorrow like what team would take a punt on bringing him in and what team would be like, do you know what we need off the bench? What are we missing? We're missing Alfred Payton. Um, and that's why I think he's overrated in the terms of he's still getting minutes. And I genuinely don't think he's at, he's an NBA level player. Our guy, uh, Stephen Cameron, who um, we had on the podcast a couple episodes ago, he's, he's somewhere, you know, clutching his pillow, you know, yeah, just- but Knicks fans everywhere are thrilled about that. That, that <laughs> so. very, very true uh, what do you guys think about um we think about kevin knox uh my chip you go oh i was just gonna say i don't have a strong opinion on knox one way or the other anymore to be honest <laughs> like i don't know man like this if is... he plays he does if he doesn't then he doesn't it is what it is he's I, gotten a shot he really I has i don't see Knox to me has some nice skills. He's got great size. He does a thing every now and then where you're like, wow, the potential, but what if, you know, but I just think, unfortunately, Kevin Knox's biggest knock is, is just himself. I I don't, I just don't see him ever being a guy that becomes more than, than just a, a role playing stretch wing forward you know I just don't you know like I don't see him I don't see him developing a game where he has two to three go-to moves where he can get into the point get into the paint and pull up or post someone up and and hit a fit turn around fade away or something like that like the the thing that you if you want to buy on Kevin Knox is is that he's still so so young and of course there's the potential for something there um the sad part is with him is like he works extremely hard. You know, everyone, every report that we've ever read about Knox, no one ever knocks his his work ethic or anything. But the things you do hear about him are focus, awareness. And, you know, to be fair, he is still young. He's still learning the NBA game. But I just don't really see him like if I was to invest a, a future deal in him, I really couldn't do that. You know, based on what he's shown us so far, I just feel like he's 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 like Frank Nilakina. He's best suited for another team um, that can hopefully develop him in a way that we couldn't. How many years has he been in the league now? Is this his third or his second? I think this is his third, right, Chip? Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. generally how long an NBA team will give a player before deciding whether or not to move on, right? Like, um, I've spoke to a few people that have told me, like, um. NBA teams generally try and do the three years because you usually take your biggest jump in year three. But everything you've just said, myself and Matt have heard for the last four years with Semi Ojale, and it's taken him this long to figure it out. There's always, and Ojale was older than what Knox is at the moment, when, probably when he got drafted. But what I'm trying to get at is there's, there's always a chance that he could just all of a sudden it clicks and the NBA game just makes sense to him. But if you can get, a late first for him and you think you're better off doing that than moving him then uh 
that's what you got to do, right? Because it's his career as well. He needs to go to a place where he can figure it out as much as you need an asset back. Because when, like you say, if he plays, he plays. If he doesn't, he doesn't. So that's dead cap, basically. That's the same as cutting a guy. You, you're not really. He's not really affecting winning, and he's not really affecting not losing. Which I know are the same things, but I, you know, with Ojale, I, I want to see, you know, what you guys think about this too. Like, what, what do you, what do you think about a guy or a prospect? And every prospect is is different. But when you have, you know, such a honestly, like, like a. a a football makeup or, or body type, like, and, and most of your wings are, are generally more fluid, um, you know, can, can navigate space on the court in a different way. Like, does that kind of affect the way sometimes you, you view or evaluate someone's potential? Because I remember that the, the extent that I know about Ojale is that last year, he's an extremely hard worker from what I've heard. And I remember last year he was starting to play well. Um, but like, if you were to ask me, do I think he's, he, he can be like a 15 to 18 minute guy and, and give you 10 or 12 points a game or something like that. I don't, you know, for, for years on, I, I don't know that I would have, I would agree with that or, or see that, but what do you guys think? Well, I think that, I think that his strength can only do so much in the NBA. And, and a good example of this is the other day when they played the Raptors, um, you know, so Pascal Siakam is probably only a couple inches taller than Ojale, but is like very long. Right. Right. And Ojale wouldn't really give up too much ground when, and so Pascal's n- kind of like new, not new, but, but one of the skill sets he's mastered recently is his post game. And it's not like he would gain a lot of ground on Ojale, but would ultimately just turn around and shoot over him. And and that's his, you know, I think that's kind of like the the playbook on him, right? Like he's gonna have nights offensively where, you know, we 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 have seen him go five for five from three, and it helps you know win you a game. And then maybe then over the next two games he goes like one for eight. So offensively he's gonna be streaky, and you you live with it. But like defensively, it has to be the right matchup. And it has to be a guy that you're not worried about shooting over you. And, and you guys might remember that, like, one of the things Brad Stevens got um, a lot of praise for was when they had one of their earlier postseason matchups against the Bucks, and he he put Shemi on on uh, Giannis, and was like, "Yeah, well, we need this. We need the strength and someone who can match his his foot speed um, at that size. And we're just gonna like, if Giannis shoots over us, he shoots over us. And like, it worked for a little bit. It, it worked enough to where they had success. So. I don't know. I, do I think he's earned a second contract with some team? Yes, I do. Do I think the Celtics could find a way to replace him with someone who's marginally better? I also think that's true. Mm. I'd agree with all of that. Um, I'm shocked he's still on the team now, to be quite honest. I, was, I wasn't expecting him to be on the team last season, and I wasn't, definitely wasn't expecting him to still be on the team this season. But work ethic is contagious, right? So sometimes there's value in keeping a guy around that works that hard, that has air quotes legendary workout sessions after games. That's kind right. there's value in that too. So I can see why they have kept him around, especially around a roster that's young and impressionable, and you're trying to teach good habits. But I definitely wouldn't be shocked if he found himself on another rebuilding roster where maybe he gets the run he needs to see exactly where he fits in the NBA landscape. Hmm. That's, that's definitely interesting for sure. Chip, um, 
you have anything else for our guys before we uh, wrap up the Celtics combo? I did. I wanted to ask them. We're speaking to guys who uh, may not be on the roster. Guys, who, A guy who isn't on the roster anymore uh, is Gordon Hayward, and he's been awesome this year and is might be an all-star, could be elected a reserve. I wanted to ask you guys how surprised or if you're surprised at all about how good he's been this year. I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. It, it all, it all comes down to health for him. You know, before he got injured last year, he had a stretch of games where he did look like an all-star and it seems that he, well, I, I, I should say it comes down to health and role. Right. And, and he has a pretty big role in Charlotte. It's a bigger role than what he had in Boston. So he's healthy. Um, I'm a big fan of their head coach down there, Borrego. I thought, I think, see, I think he runs a really imaginative offense where Gordon Hayward can do many things. He can be the ball handler. Um, he can set picks. He could just space in the corner. He can cut. And then playing alongside the mellow ball has made his life a lot easier and his game more efficient. I'm not surprised. And, like, I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for the guy. You know, he's had some of the worst luck you could ever have as a professional athlete. And I just want to – I want to see him get, like, one more all-star appearance because I think that's why he left. I think he left to show the world that he is a hell of a basketball player. And I want him to like achieve that goal. Um, and I was really cynical at first. At first, I thought he signed in Charlotte so that he could build his value up and the team could trade him for assets while still being on a long-term deal. Um, that's what I thought was going to happen, but it looks like he's really done a lot down there and they're going to keep him and they're going to continue to build. So I'm happy for him and I want to see him get to the All-Star game. Yeah, I think he's a great guy, a really genuine guy. Um, I'm I'm happy to see him succeed. Uh, one thing I do know, I do like to note when we're talking about Hayward is he had corrective foot surgery in the off season, and um, Sam Amick reported that the um, the the Hornets didn't know that he he was having surgery when he signed his deal, or they just found out as he inked it. But that that is in my mind, a big part of why he's having such a good year because that soreness isn't there anymore that he was dealing with after games. But I definitely agree. I think he's deserving of an all-star appearance and I think he'll make at least one by the time his contract in Charlotte runs out. Uh, I couldn't be happy. I think he's a fantastic player. And Boston, for as many fans that didn't appreciate him when he was here, they're definitely missing him now he's gone. Yeah, I mean, he, Chip, I'm sure you remember. Um, I know the last time the Knicks played the Hornets... We were hoping that that was going to be, I, I think we were on, uh, we were hoping that was going to be a two game or three game winning streak where, but uh, Hayward hit at least, I don't know, it seemed like four or five, maybe six threes that night. He just absolutely torched us. Um, he's been really great with them, but uh, guys, honestly, this was a really great conversation. The Celtics are a super interesting team. I think um, of course, it'll be very interesting to see how the rest of their season plays out, how active they will be or won't be at the trading deadline, um, but very appreciative of both of you guys giving us some time today to talk Celtics basketball. Um, Matt, before we let you go, if you could let all the people know where they can find you on Twitter, all the great stuff you're working on at the Playgrounder, and if there's anything you're working on right now and you want to promote, please do so. Yeah, sure. Thank you, and, and thank you for having um, thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. It's always a fun time with you too. So. Um, yeah, Twitter at Matt Esposito underscore. Um, and I actually, I, I buried the lead a little bit earlier, but I am going to do something on, uh, 
I'm going to write something on the Pelicans and, uh, and, and their offense because they're starting to get a little more funky with it. And it's always fun to kind of document that stuff. So be sure to check us out. But I, I listen, always a blast talking with you guys. And when, when the Knicks get back to playing, hit me up again. So I definitely have a lot of Knicks thoughts and a lot of RJ Barrett love to continue to spread. So I appreciate it. Oh, we will. We will definitely be doing that as well. And Adam, of course, um, thank you so much for coming on as well. I know it's a little bit later over there, but uh, definitely a pleasure speaking with you. And, and of course, where people can find you on Twitter and, and all of your great content as well. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. This has been like super fun. Um, Matt didn't say it about his own site, so I'll say it for him. It's the Playgrounder and it's, it has ridiculously great breakdowns on there. His YouTube stuff's fantastic. His podcasts are great. So definitely go and support Matt and everything he's doing. Um, you, if you decide to support me afterwards, that's perfectly fine too. You can find <laughs> me at, at Adam Taylor MBA on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can find my written work and podcast work over at celticsblog.com. Awesome, guys. And uh, from me and Chip as well, we hope everybody is staying safe and we will talk to you guys soon.